There we go. All right, so here we are. Um, abnormal psychology. We're using a different recorder again because my other one bit the dust. So um, hopefully this records well. I'm going to leave that in there if it does, just so you know. I'm, I'm pretty straightforward. So, what is today's topic? Today's topic is the final chapter in our, in our textbook. Um, we probably won't make it through the whole recording or the whole PowerPoint, so I'm going to try to hit the finer points as we go through. Does that sound fair? Um, this category is what we call neurocognitive disorders, chapter 15 in our textbook. So, think about what that word means, neurocognitive disorders. It's going to involve the brain and thinking or behavior. So neurocognitive disorders, it's going to involve the brain and some kind of you know, thinking issue or, or behavior issue. So let's take a look and make our way through. These disorders in DSM-5 used to be called, in DSM-3, organic mental disorders. So organic mental disorders meaning that there was some organic or biological reason for them. So that's what we said in DSM-3. And that was reflecting evident connection with brain pathology. And the three like, general diagnoses that fall here are delirium, dementia, and amnesic disorders. So kind of these three categories. And each one has subcategories underneath it, but these were the three. Um, as all mental disorders have organic or physiological components, the organic mental disorder um, phrase was dropped from the DSM-4. Because any disorder we've talked about this semester could have a biological reason for it, correct? Or an organic reason for it. So saying these are organic disorders really wasn't helpful. In the DSM-5, we retain the classification for delirium disorders, but then combine dementia and amnesic disorders into the classification of mild or major neurocognitive disorders. So, remember there used to be three categories. We'd have delirium, dementia, amnesic disorders. Now we've kept delirium separate, but we've combined dementia and amnesic disorders together. And now we call those neurocognitive. So again, that's just some of the stuff that we see. All right? So in DSM-4, it was important to distinguish the conditions involving some degree of memory dysfunction from the effects of normal aging. Again, if someone's losing, if they have amnesic disorder, amnesia, and they're older, well, that's not necessarily a problem because they're getting older. In DSM-5, what we decided to do was just say it doesn't matter whether they're older or not. If they're suffering from memory issues as a result, right? Then um, we throw them in here. So in DSM-5, these symptoms, whether normal aging or not, are now included under this new diagnosis of mild neurocognitive disorders. Also in DSM-5, any physical disease that accompanies the symptoms is coded along with the mental disorder. In other words, it's included. Maybe you have, maybe you have amnesia because you had a car accident and you had a brain trauma, okay? In DSM-4, we would have said amnesia and then on a different line, because we had the five axes, on a different line we would say head trauma due to car accident. Now, we say you have a neurocognitive disorder caused by a car, like head trauma. 
So again, we're including it all together instead of trying to separate pieces out. So just to let you know. Um, many pathological conditions of the brain are more common in older people. We know that. We know, for example, that dementia, right, that memory loss, that separation from who you are, all that kind of stuff, is highest in those over the age of 85. We know, however, that compromise of brain function and the psychological effects it entails can occur at any age. So these disorders, while you might say, well, dementia is more common over 85. Yeah, that's true. But dementia or any of these disorders could happen at an earlier age if there was a disease, an injury, a tumor, inflammation of the brain like encephalitis or other kind of drug or toxin exposure. So again, don't just think that this is only true, like this category only happens to you know, elder individuals or older people. No, this could be someone who's 20 years old and has a car accident and has a head trauma, a brain injury. Yeah, they're going to fall into the neurocognitive disorders along with the 85-year-old suffering from dementia. So it's a very, when you look at you know, uh, individuals like who are in this category, they can be any age range. Now, a majority of them will be the older ones, but again, you can see it anywhere. Some of these conditions are progressive with continued decline in cognitive function for the remainder of a person's life. Again, if you have a, a car accident and you have a head trauma and you have major uh, you know, um, injury, it may or may not ever go away. You might be dealing with that for the rest of your life. If you have Alzheimer's disease, there is no treatment to make it better. It's progressive. It's going to continue to get worse through the rest of your life. So, again, you can see that. <coughs> Some conditions, however, could be transient. What if it's caused by a drug or toxin? and then we get rid of the drug or toxin, then it could go away. So again, some of these could be transient. They may resolve rapidly or even completely. So again, these, this, is the, this is the kind of broadness of this category. If the underlying organic cause is resolved, the cognitive decline may cease or reverse its course. If we someday are able to figure out what is triggering Alzheimer's disease, and we can change that organic cause, then yes, maybe someday we can treat that. So again, these neurocognitive disorders are treatable to a degree based on what its cause is. The nature of psychological impairment produced by brain dysfunction is related to the area of the brain that it impacts. So again, if, it's, you know, if it impacts your, your frontal lobe, maybe it's going to have more to do with organization and problem solving and planning, right? If it affects the temporal lobe, maybe it influences hearing and auditory processing, right? So again, the parietal lobe, maybe it affects um, some of the uh, sensations from your senses that you pick up. So again, it, it really has to do with the localization of the injury or the, of where the possible damage could be says, although the degree of localization of a particular cognitive or emotional activity has been overstated, there are some broad psychological functions that are integrated in specific parts of the brain. So we don't have the brain all mapped out as much as everyone thinks we do. 
There's still a lot of subjectivity, but we have some general areas where we know stuff's happening. We know where the motor cortex is. We know where the som somatosensory area is. So again, in those areas, we can determine maybe cause a lot easier. In the other areas, it's still a little bit of guesswork. So let's talk about these classification. Delirium, that's the first one that kind of sits here under these neurocognitive disorders, right? It kind of sits separately by itself. Um, the DSM-5 um, organizes delirium diagnosis according to etiology, and I'll, I'll show you that in a few minutes. And then we have major and mild neurocognitive disorders, again, organizing the former dementia and amnesic disorders in these categories. And they're also, again, organized according to their ideology or their cause. That's what ideology is. So delirium. It's a change in consciousness that involves disorientation, impairment of memory, um, illusions or hallucinations, and reduced attention to the surroundings. If you've ever been around someone who runs a really super high temperature, sometimes they almost appear to be hallucinating. Right? They become delirious. And they might be all over the place. It might seem like they've lost touch with reality. Well, again, because they have this really high temperature. So we could see that. Notice that deliriums, the one thing about deliriums that kind of separates it out from these other ones is that it has a rapid onset, can fluctuate in severity at any period of throughout the day, and typically becomes worse at night. So it's the general pattern. And by definition, there must be evidence that the disturbance is related to a specific physical cause. And what are those causes? Usually either a medical condition, a medication, or a substance. It's, it's estimated that those that are elderly that you know, go into the hospital for you know, injuries or, or you know, uh, other kinds of issues, oftentimes develop delirium, at least for a period of time. So would that be like sundowning? It's kind of like sundowning, but it's... A, it's but not right. but... But it, yeah, it has that same kind of feel to it. So again, it tends to get worse in the evening. It tends to be a, a, a separation from one's awareness of their surroundings. They almost appear to be hallucinating, you know, detached from reality for a period of time. So it's very much like that. And then during the day... Again, it can fluctuate. It can come and go. Um, delirium describes a relatively brief but global cognitive impairment of attention and awareness. That's why it's kind of a separate category. Delirious individuals are not oriented to place or time. Again, they've lost touch with reality for a period of time. Motor activity can vacillate, shifting between hyperactivity or lethargy. So they could be very active or they could be not very active at all. And their shifting emotional disturbances are typical, including extremes like euphoria, then anger and depression and fear. Imagine if you're all over the place, you're not oriented to time or place, right? There's usually something else going on, maybe a medication issue or a substance issue or a general medical condition. That would give you some fear. Right? You'd be concerned about how is this going to, how are you going to cope with this? How, does this situ how do you deal with this situation? So again, it, it makes sense that fear would be in there. 
These emotional, perceptual, and speech disturbances can resemble other psychotic symptoms, and so you have to be careful with that. Like, and again, the difference would be with schizophrenia, where you lose touch with reality. Schizophrenia has an active phase of a month long, and it's going to be fairly consistent. This is going to be fluctuations throughout the day. They seem to be lucid, and the next minute they seem to be you know, somewhere else. Um, so that's one of the things that, the, that we see. Notice they are delirious because they're fragmented and fluctuating presentation. That's why it's different. They're all over the place. Schizophrenia, you're going to tend to lose t touch with reality for a set, longer period of time. So it's just something to kind of, you know, even though it resembles these other psychotic symptoms, it's unique in its own way. And delirium usually follows an acute course developing within hours or days and most often resolving within a week or more rarely months. Schizophrenia is not going to do that. Other psychotic disorders, not so much. Delirium can occur at all ages. Again, don't just think elderly. And children are at increased risk, especially during illness involving fever. Because again, I told you, fever is a key fe can be a key feature here. And that's the best example I can give you. Especially if you're a parent and you have a child who, again, ran a really high fever and they don't seem to be lucid or in touch with reality and you got kinda, you're worried about your kid and then they're worried too. So you can see that. We know that advancing age, being male gender, having alcohol abuse, dementia, or some kind of sensory impairment or other risk factors. So you could have Alzheimer's disease with, again, or delirium that happens in the evenings, which would, again, be sundowners. I mean, so you can see that. Again, you can have these co-occurring illnesses in the same person. It could be comorbid. Notice that delirium can be caused by exposure to toxins, including fuel, solvents, insecticides, carbon monoxide, by medication like drugs of abuse, by physical damage to the brain, and a host of other events. So a lot of different factors can come into play here. The types of delirium. So here they are. Um, just kind of remember they're, they're listed by their cause. So substance-induced delirium, substance-withdrawal delirium, and again, I think these are self-explanatory if you think about the titles. Medication-induced delirium, delirium due to another medical condition, or delirium due to multiple etiologies or multiple causes. So again, just to give you a feel, right? that's what we see. Now, what about this other category? That's the major and minor, uh, major and mild um, neurocognitive disorders. This is this other category in the in this uh, in this chapter. These are cognitive disturbances associated with neurocognitive disorders that involve cognitive decline in one or more cognitive areas. So we're going to see a decline. It's not going to be a loss of touch with reality like we saw in delirium. And this is going to be more insidious, it's going to take time. So it's going to be more slow moving, not as sudden an onset, if you will. In contrast to delirium, mild and major neurocognitive disorders have a gradual onset and are more frequently chronic in course. Parkinson's disease. 
Huntington's disease, Alzheimer's disease, vascular dementia, all have a course about them and all tend to be very chronic. In the DSM-4, major or neurocognitive disorders were known as dementias. They, again, they tend to be more major, more global if you want to think about it that way. Minor are going to have more of a, a kind of a feel of, of temporariness to them. Um, dementia has always involved a memory deficit, which is most apparent in recent memory and the retention of new learning. Think about the person that suffers from dementia. They seem to be sliding backwards through their memories. They don't seem to remember recent events or recent people, but they remember stuff from the past. When dementia is advanced, memory impairment extends beyond recent events and people uh, may actually forget important information like what their occupation was, what their name was. If we talk about severe Alzheimer's disease, which is a form of dementia, it can get to the point where people forget how to speak, forget how to eat or feed themselves, forget how to, to tie their shoes. Again, so it can even impact behavioral um, memory. Yes? like from Puerto Rico, she was like first generation um, immigrant, but she only speaks English. Right. Um, like the family has been trying to learn Spanish because like she just didn't teach it because like at the time like it was like looked down upon to be a mixed race family. Okay. And so like she like didn't teach her kids like Spanish and so I didn't grow up learning Spanish or anything. But like we've been trying to learn, but like she's had Alzheimer's for a while and just was placed into a nursing home, but she still hasn't like resorted back to Spanish. Right, and she might she might not again. It's not consistent. That's the one thing about dementias. So even though she was first generation, came over, spoke Spanish initially, and then of course used English primarily throughout the rest of her life. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that she's automatically going to resort back, but I'm going to tell you that probably as she continues to move back through dementia, as she continues to fall further and further, deeper and deeper into her older memories, there may be a point at which she does start talking Spanish again and then ceases to talk English. So that like when it would be like one of the worst? Like that would be, again, that, that I, my expectation is knowing the chronic nature of dementia that you would see that pattern. Right, and then that would be usually an indication that again she's getting worse and she's getting worse and worse, and that's what we see. Yes. So um, my great grandmother had Parkinson's and much like other symptoms like that come with this. So like when she died a couple years back, so um, it got to the point where she'd call us every year, like set, like saying, "Oh, like happy birthday," and like to the point where she like completely forgot that she even had a book with everything everyone's like birthdays and where they lived and what number they are like they she completely didn't remember that and then uh, like a couple months after that she didn't even recognize who i was mm -hmm. so it's yeah. It's really rough. And that's really dementia. Parkinson's disease is a type of dementia. Huntington's disease is a type of dementia. It fell under that category before. Remember, now we don't have that as a category necessarily. Now we talk about major neurocognitive disorders, so that's where it would fall now. But yeah, it is disturbing because as they fall back through their memories, usually what happens is they lose memories of their grandchildren first. 
and then eventually their children. They can't even remember their children, their own children. And then they start calling people by the names of people they knew in high school, their high school, and then their elementary school. And so as they're sliding back through their memories, they're getting further and further back. And again, that's why they start to lose. Like, I don't know how to drive anymore. I don't know what my occupation was. You know, I don't know how to eat or feed myself or clothe myself. They're sliding back. Imagine that as you develop your memories throughout life, they build on one another, right? So they build and build. You know, you have your friends from elementary school. Then you have your friends from, you know, middle school, then from high school. Then you get out in the world and you have your adult friends. And then you get married and you have your kids. And then your kids have kids. And... And then you run into this dementia, right? And this, what happens with your memories, you start sliding backwards through that. So you lose your grandkids. You still remember your kids. I remember my father, he was a school teacher. He suffered from dementia. And so he knew everything. He always had the answers to everything. And then I remember one day he called me up and he said, tell me what the password is to my computer. I'm like, Dad, how, how the hell do I know that? Well, you have to know. No, it's your computer. I don't know what you would have called it, you know. So, you know, we've got to the point where he, he finally figured out what it was. And I wrote it down. And so then I did have the answer. And then and then I would call him up and, you know, he would say, oh, how are you? You know, he would know my voice. One day I called up and he was like, you know, I started talking to him. He's like, who is this? And I said, it's your son. Oh, 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 oh of course it is. Well, just, you know, I just didn't recognize the voice at first. You just have to identify yourself before you start talking. So what's happening is he's starting to lose that, right? And I'm the oldest son. Now he's starting to lose me. Then he lost who I was. All right? And then he started to lose who his wife was. And he just kind of fell further and further and further. It's really devastating, um, I had a coworker whose mother suffered from Alzheimer's disease, and it runs in families. Um, this coworker, her mother, um, came to her um, and said, "You know, I, your grandmother had Alzheimer's disease, and I took care of her, so I know what kind of pressure that is to take care of someone. So if I start suffering from the symptoms, I, I, I don't. I'll understand if you can't take care of me." She was pretty blunt with her, my coworker. My coworker said, you know, same thing you would say, Mom, shut up. I don't, I don't want to hear that. I got you. I'll take care of you. Right? But, of course, her mother, you know, started to lose her memory, almost set the house on fire because forgot to turn off the stove. Right? So then had to go to a home. And uh, I remember my coworker calling me once and saying, can, can I talk? And I'm like, sure, what's up? She said, I went to see my mom today, and my mom looked me in the eyes and said, I know I love you, but I don't know who you are. She said, I, I don't know what to do with that. And so we talked about it for a long time. And so then she just started wearing a name tag. She wore a name tag to visit her mom. And her mom didn't know her more than what the name tag said. But at least she was there and trying to... But it's devastating on the caregiver. So these neurocognitive disorders, you know, if you talk about your child suffering from delirium or an elderly person suffering from delirium or dementia, it, it can be a very a big struggle for the caregivers, as well as for the person suffering from the disorder. So I just share that. I mean, great, great questions, everyone. So um, notice here it says, although dementia remains a useful term, 
and we just still use it. I, I doubt we're ever going to get rid of that as a term. The DSM-5 diagnosis was broadened to also include amnesic disorders. So it's not just dementias in here. It's also those that just have memory disorders, not other kinds of dysfunctions that go with it. All right. So, neurocognitive disorders are diagnosed on the basis of a decline in functioning of at least one of six of the following domains. So when we talk about these neurocognitive disorders, um, complex attention, executive function, learning and memory, language, perceptual motor abilities, or social cognition, social awareness. So again, when you take a look at these, all they need is a problem in one area, and you can see that as a person progresses through these major cognitive, neurocognitive disorders, not only do they lose it in one area, but they tend to see impact in multiple areas. You know, think about your grandmother you were saying, right, with Parkinson's disease. It wasn't just one of these areas. It started out with maybe one of these areas, and then it got worse in other areas. It started out actually with probably perceptual motor activities. You know, Parkinson's disease, usually a motor issue. And then it got into learning and memory. And then it got into, again, executive functioning, planning and problem solving, being able to sort through things, right? Social cognition, didn't know who you were. So you can see how it impacts multiple areas as it gets worse. Um, complex attention is the ability to attend to sustained multiple or selective aspects of an activity, being able to focus. Right? It's demonstrated when a person can remain on task, ignore distractions, and divide attention between two or more things. Executive function. That's the ability to plan tasks, to make decisions, manipulate information, solve problems based on feedback, to apply complex and effortful solutions, to shift between concepts. Perceptual motor abilities, that's the ability to navigate, use tools or devices, imitate, draw, or copy. Learning and memory involves several memory abilities like short-term recall, delayed recall, cued recall, recognition, the ability to learn new things. Language, of course, makes sense. Problems with language, with naming things, finding the right word, grammar, syntax, even understanding when people are talking to you and being able to be receptive to their requests. And then social cognition includes that ability to detect or recognize the emotions in others or understand another person's point of view. So they lose that as they get older and older and older. The extent of decline determines whether it's called a mild or major problem. Which makes sense, right? Again, what's the extent? Is it a major neurocognitive disorder or a minor one? In the case of major neurocognitive disorders, the cognitive decline is significant. The impairments are in the areas that interfere with independent functioning. So this person can't live on their own, they can't function on their own. In the case of mild neurocognitive disorders, the cognitive decline is modest and independent functioning remains adequate. So maybe they have some struggles, but they're still able to generally take care of themselves. And so you can see how initially you might label someone as mild neurocognitive disorder, and as it progresses, as it gets worse, it becomes more major. 
What are the specified the specifiers, the causes, the etiology? Well, you can see this long list. Right? So here is the long list of specifiers that we see with neurocognitive disorders. Alzheimer's disease, in fact, what it's called, now we call it DAT. Dementia Alzheimer's type. So DAT. Um, frontotemporal lobar degeneration. So again, it's going to have to do with the frontal lobe area of the brain, right? Degeneration. Lewy body disease, vascular disease where you're not getting enough blood flow to the brain. Um, traumatic brain injury, substance medication use induced. HIV infection that results in a neurocognitive disorder. Amnesia, memory loss. Uh, Prion's disease, Parkinson's disease, Huntington's disease. Huntington's disease is a fatal disease. We do have a test for it. We can test to see if you have Huntington's disease in your genetic makeup. The question is, do you really want to know? Because you can't do anything about it anyway. Prion's um, fatal too. Prion's fatal too. And the only way that you get it is if you eat deer meat or an animal that has a prion. I learned it in my book. Anyway, um, because it is, it, it's not, it, it's, it's hard to describe, but it, there's no cure, there's no nothing right. once you have it. It's Once you get it, you've got it. Yeah. It degenerates your brain and yeah. you pass away. So you pass no away. slowing it down. Right. You get it and then not. Yeah. It's kind of sad. It is sad. It's, if it's, um, it's a proton or a protein. So a myelin is a protein, so there's nothing that you can do to stop it. And a deer gets it by eating specific things in the earth. So if it eats its own poop and it has protein and that's a polyon, then they get it and they contract it. Can you test the deer meat for You can, but if you eat it straight off the deer, like you go camping and people go and eat the deer meat and is that, eat that way. I don't know. I thought that you have to like, like, no, for the game convention no. and no, nope, not necessarily. Yeah, well, again, there's so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of impact, you know. Um, so again, thank you for sharing that about Prion's disease. A again, some of these are incurable and and non-treatable. You know, we'd like to think that we can treat everything and we have the ability to do it. No, we can identify causes, but we can't always do anything about it. Right. Um, Crutzfeld-Jacobs disease, other medical conditions, multiple causes, multiple etiologies. Again, maybe we don't know, or, or we know that there's multiple things impacting this person, or maybe unspecified. We don't even know what's causing these neurocognitive disorders. So you can see this long list. Traumatic brain injury, by the way, could be a result of a car accident, you know, a fall something like that. Again, it's some injury, so we can usually identify what it is. Um, the major neurocognitive disorders include these symptoms, right? Aphasia. Aphasia is a language disturbance that um, involves impairment in understanding or expressing ideas through language. So that's aphasia. Apraxia, impaired, impaired ability to execute motor activities through motor, although motor function is intact. So your muscles are fine, but with apraxia, you, you just don't, you're just not able to, to move them. Your brain can't send the message to your body to move what it needs to move. That's Parkinson's disease is one of those examples. 
Agnosia is failure to recognize um, objects or people that were formerly familiar to the person. So maybe I hold up this to someone who's a truck driver and I say, do you know what these are? Well, they were a truck driver their whole life. They're going to know what keys to a vehicle are. And they may even look at it at first and they'll go, I know what those are. Ah, ah, tip of the tongue. I can't, I can't quite remember. I can't find the word. Right? So at first it's like the word just seems to slip away. And we've all experienced like tip of the tongue phenomenon. Like we know what it is. We just can't, we just can't find the word to say it. This becomes worse and then worse. And it's little things like keys. We've seen keys how many times throughout our lives? And now I can't even recognize it. So that's what we see. And then disturbances in executive functioning means impairments in the ability to plan or execute actions. So again, they, they just don't have a direction. Um, one of the films I used to show in class, but it's like 30 minutes long, talks about um, it's a, a man who's... Uh, wife is suffering from Alzheimer's disease and he's trying to be the caregiver for her. And he, uh, he can't take care of her at home because he's got to work to you know, pay the bills and car insurance, health insurance and all that, right? Um, but as she progresses, as she gets worse and worse, she s doesn't speak as much, you know, and doesn't communicate as much. So he gets a, a worker to come in during the day to kind of watch over her so she doesn't hurt herself. And then it got to the point where he sent her to a daycare, like an adult daycare, so during the day. And there, in the movie, there's an interview with her. And he says, you know, I know when she goes, she must have had fun. Because she comes back and she's bright and she's happy and she's smiling and she's laughing. So she seems to be happy. So I feel like it's happy. And then they show an interview with her and they say, so what do you do when you go to daycare? And she's like, well, you know, we, um, well, we, um, we do things, you know, we, we do fun things. But she can't, she can't find the words to explain what happened. So she can't tell you what she did. But obviously she, her, because of her demeanor, she appears to be, to have enjoyed it. So again, you know, there might be some, she can't really plan her actions, she doesn't, can't plan ahead as to what she's doing, but that doesn't mean she lacks enjoyment. So again, it's one of the things to see. Notice it says that um, here's a major uh, neurocognitive disorder due to Alzheimer's disease. Um, it rarely develops before the age of 50, but there is such a thing as early onset. Alzheimer's disease. Notice it says, um, rarely develops before the age of 50, but then increases dramatically with age such that 10% of those in their seventh decade, in other words, 70 uh, years of age or higher, and more than one-fourth in later decades, 25%, show the disorder. So as they get older, very sh rarely shows itself in 50. By 70, we're looking at least 10%. By the time we get up to 85, we're looking at 25% of the people are showing some kind of signs. So again, it's, it's, it really multiplies as you get older. Um, the diagnosis for DAT, remember dementia due to Alzheimer's type, um, is made partially by exclusion because it used to be that the only way we could tell someone had Alzheimer's type dementia was to wait until they passed away and then to do an autopsy and look at their brain to see if there were, there were plaques and tangles.
So even today, there's we have some tests we can run, but again, they just kind of narrow it down. They're not necessarily conclusive until we actually take a look. In most cases, there are no telltale signs um, from a, you know from a physical examination alone. So again, we have to take a look at it. Um, notice it says the insidious onset and slow progression of DAT is what distinguishes it from other dementias. It's one of the things we see. Memory loss is usually apparent uh, among the earliest symptoms with increasing degrees of confusion, personality change, um, developing as the brain, as more and more of the brain becomes involved. Um, patients undergo personality changes often initially. Uh, they become distrustful and suspicious and later be may become openly belligerent and delusional. And so that's one of the reasons why oftentimes they're housed in locked units. Because again, they, they may harm themselves, they may harm others. And for healthcare workers on locked units and Alzheimer's um, units, it can be a little bit dangerous. They can strike out. But again, they're not, I'm not going to say that they're fully aware of what they're doing. But it can be, it can be placing yourself in harm's way when you work as a healthcare worker on one of those units. It, it sometimes does happen. Yes? Well, there's senility. As we get older, our memories tend to be less efficient. So, you know, as we get older, our memories do tend to do that. But stuff that's impactful, stuff that's meaningful to us, we tend to hold on to for the longest. Here is stuff that normally we would see people hold on to, like the names of their kids, that now they're forgetting. So the meaningful stuff starts to slip away. That's where the insidious nature of this comes in. Like, when should you go and, like, get tested for, like, I would say anytime that you're starting to have some memory loss, some memory concerns, that that's probably a good idea to go and have a discussion with your family doctor. Because like my, I live with my grandparents, and my grandpa, like it's his mom that has Alzheimer's. Right. And he like keeps forgetting like what days he has doctor's appointments. Like he, he'll like forget that he's like leaving stuff out like on like like the counters and stuff. And like, how old is he? Like what he's doing. He's sixty. And again, at 64, 65, we wouldn't anticipate seeing that kind of level of forgetfulness. So that might be a discussion. Because I asked my grandma, I was like, aren't you guys like, going to go get tested since grandma has Alzheimer's? And she's like, oh yeah, we're going to bring it up in his next appointment, but it's normal for people to forget stuff. And right. I was like, I don't think that it's like... It it's normal, but again, at 64, 65... Like, he's still really young. Right. That's still really young. So, again, when you're starting to see that level of forgetfulness, especially if there's, again, some other, maybe some other signs or, or triggers or red flags, I don't think that it's harmful to go have that discussion. So I would encourage that. And, again, I, there may be some fear. Think about that. If he's taking care of his wife, his wife's suffering from Alzheimer's disease, and he's watching the decline in her, and he sees it, do you think he really wants to admit that he might be struggling with the same thing? Oh, well, it's his mom. Oh, it's his mom. Oh, so it's his mom that has Alzheimer's yeah, disease. Yeah, call her grandma. Oh, okay, sorry. Sorry, you kind of confused me. There. So his mom, and now it's 65, 64, he's suffering from it. Again, we know that Alzheimer's disease, there does seem to be a genetic component. I would probably go get tested. Yeah. And, and again, 
I'll still go back to my statement. He's seen his mom go through this. There's maybe some fear on his part. He doesn't want to admit to it. And guys, guys don't tend to want to admit to problems. So, uh, again, let me just wrap up this slide. I'll give you some pointers about the rest of the slide. We're out of time, and then we'll kind of wrap this up. Does that sound good? Because the rest of them really are just going more in-depth on the kinds of neurocognitive disorders. And you can, you can already assume what treatment might be, right? So, again, treatment might be keeping the environment safe, taking care of the caregivers, using medication when medication's available, but know that with some of these disorders, it's not going to stop it. It may slow it down. We have medications that will slow down Alzheimer's disease, but it's not going to stop it. So a lot of it. And some of the sub-symptoms, some of the co-occurring illnesses that will happen with these neurocognitive disorders, depression and anxiety disorders. So again, oftentimes you'll see treatment with anti-anxiety and antidepressant medication because they have those issues. All right? Make sense? So again, just to kind of you know, finish this up, notice that in latest stages of Alzheimer's disease, people become totally dependent. So that's one of the things that we see. So I'm going to kind of stop there and just kind of, if you take a look through the rest of the PowerPoint, and I'll just kind of scan through, it talks about treatment, it talks about psychotherapy. A lot of it's on Alzheimer's disease because that tends to be the major concern right now, but there are other disorders that are in this category. So just kind of, you know, take a look at all of them. Um, and we can talk about prevention um, and then even some amnesic disorders, but as you make your way through, that's what you're going to find. If you have any questions, remember that. Um, thank you for listening. I'm going to stop the recording now because I'm going to talk about finals week for everyone. So thanks for listening, everyone.